Signs Telephone Total Landscaping. For press conferences, press 1. Hello, this is Science Telephone, and I'm your host, Jesse. We have an action-packed episode today, a whole bunch of guests that are going to knock your socks off. We're going to take the real research of an actual scientist and feed it through our three-person telephone of struggling comedians. Uh, they're not necessarily struggling financially, although probably, but at the very least, they will be struggling with the science. Coming up on the show, we've got Amy Shostak, Alistair Ogden, and Abdul Aziz. All A names for some reason, I don't know how that happened, but one thing at a time. I'm here now with our first scientist, and we're going to talk about what he does so you get to know him and his work before you hear it all butchered. He's not only a, an accomplished physicist, but also a musician and dancer. It's uh, Pramod Senarath Yapa. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. So stoked to be here, Jesse. Oh, I'm very stoked to have you. Uh, you have a very cool combo of art and science that immediately shows up like on, on, on first Google. Um, is that like a pretty unique thing you find in your field? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. At least, you know, people do it in secret. If you want to be a serious scientist, you sometimes like hide away the art into a private Instagram. Um, for me, uh, that distinction has kind of broken. Um, so yes, I am both a scientist and a musician at the same time somehow. <laughs> I love that. So when you say that distinction is kind of broken, um, I assume you're, you're partially alluding to uh, the dance your PhD competition. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the kind of melding between the two, there is no boundary anymore. It's just like one soup of art and science. Can you tell me a bit about the Dance Your PhD? Sure. Dance Your PhD as a competition is something that's been going on for like 12 years. Some kooky scientists decided that, you know, this would be a great idea to challenge, um, you know, people doing their PhD to turn their research into a dance. I saw it first many, many years ago. And then when I was like in my undergrad and then I was like, I'm going to do this. This is going to happen one day. <laughs> and then I was at UVic, finishing up my master's actually. And I had probably like four months before I started my PhD. And I was like, I have nothing better to do. Why not make a musical out of my research? Which which is kind of ridiculous, but it was actually the most natural way to think about my research. I was thinking of electrons that would pair up and just kind of like float through a wire. And the perfect analogy turned out to be swing dancing, which I was also doing at the time. Um, so I called up like 12 of my friends, and for some reason, they agreed to join me on this really weird out there idea. A couple of weeks later, I had a, like a 10 minute musical with, in three acts of electrons starting out alone and then pairing up and dancing and then uh, fighting with some punks who are impurities inside a metal wire. <laughs> it sounds real weird. <laughs> no, that's absolutely amazing. So, okay. We're alluding to some of the science now. So before we get into the telephone segment, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the physics work you're doing so that the audience can understand a little bit of what's going on so that when they see it get butchered, altered, whatever word you want to use, they'll have a bit of context. Can you tell me in like layperson's terms what you do? Absolutely. So the general field I'm in is called theoretical condensed matter physics, which is not a very well-known area of physics. Most of the physicists in the world do it. And they are essentially trying to figure out everyday materials around you, metals and you know, gases and liquids, what are their properties? And usually the answer to that is, you know, their properties come from quantum mechanics. I do the mathematics to figure out, okay, you know, what makes water watery? In my case, I'm not looking at water, I'm looking at helium. So it's a very specific isotope of helium too. It's not the normal stuff that we fill into balloons. It's a, a rare type of helium. You cool it down to negative 270 degrees. And instead of being like a gas that you put into balloons, 
it turns into a liquid. And this turns out to be the only known liquid on Earth that never freezes. So you oh, can wow. cool it all the way up to absolute zero. It never freezes, it stays liquid. And the only reason it does that is because it goes from being a normal liquid into something called a superfluid. Ah. Physicists really like their uh, <laughs> adding super <laughs> to anything normal and or quantum. So I have a quantum superfluid that I'm studying. Um, the easiest way to think about how that works is, you know, if you have your coffee in the morning, you give it a stir, it'll form a whirlpool in it. Right. And like two seconds later, that whirlpool kind of stops and then you get a flat surface. If you had a cup of superfluid helium and you gave it a stir, you could take the spoon out and watch it for 10 minutes. It'll still be a whirlpool. Wait an hour. It'll still be a whirlpool. You could wait a century and it'll still be a whirlpool. So it's a wow. frictionless liquid. And why that happens is because of quantum mechanics. And that turns out to be like the most obvious property. And there are some non-obvious properties of superfluid. So I study these <laughs> non-obvious properties of superfluid helium-3. Okay, wow. That was a, that was a great explanation. Wonderful. Like I, yeah, I feel like I understand that like reasonably well at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to the jargony bit later. So Promote, I've asked you uh, to write a one-minute explanation of your work as you would explain it to a colleague. Um, and that is quite jargony. Uh, it's maybe the densest uh, blurb we've had on the show so far, so I can't wait to see what happens with it. Um, what are some of the terms that are going to come up in this uh, that some of our comedians might stumble over? Yeah, so I think you know, superfluid might be the the least jargony term, even though it's probably something you you don't hear too much in normal conversation. the The other one is pair density wave, is something that is brought up right at the end of that my little spiel, and that kind of refers to it being a crystalline thing it's it's basically a, a fancy word for a crystal and bcs is just an acronym that might come up that is a bunch of scientist names bardeen schriefer and cooper but they don't know that uh it's bcs it's fancy okay <laughs> awesome uh i think it's time to to jump right into the telephone so i'm gonna call in our first comedian now she's a top-notch improviser one of the organizers of the vancouver improv festival and just an all-around amazing person uh, hello? Hello. Hi, welcome to the show, Amy Shostak. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited. Are you ready to do some serious science with us? Oh, so ready. So ready. Science is, oof, I know so much about science. <laughs> We're about to uh, to put that to the test. P Promote here has written out a one-minute description of his research, which I just emailed you, and I'm going to get you to cold read it to our second comedian, before uh, he asks you some questions. So Promode, I'm gonna put you on mute now so you can listen as your work is flawlessly communicated between these experts. Amy, before I bring on our next guest, what is your fake scientist name? My scientist is named Pepper Sandwich and I'm a PhD candidate at the Greater Vancouver College of Science. Hello, Alistair, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Great. This is our next guest. He's no stranger to the show, and he's a very good boy. It's Alistair Ogden. <laughs> My number one credit. Uh, Alistair, uh, speaking of credits, I have this vague memory of you telling me you used to write essays for high school students for money. Can we just talk about that for one second? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I, I am hesitant to talk about it because I don't know exactly what the um, legal and ethical ramifications of it <laughs> are but yeah when i first moved to vancouver i was just like trying to pick up any work that i could and i saw on craigslist somebody was looking for a ghost writer and i thought oh that sounds cool like maybe i'll be able to write 
like for a celebrity or something. And then they basically just got me to do this like basic aptitude test. And then I started writing like essays for students for like basic communications degrees and stuff like that. It wasn't anything particularly complicated until maybe they got more like trust in me, In I guess. And then they, then they gave me some like real intense stuff. The last thing that they assigned me, it was like, it's like a 400 level course on like international relations in Japan or something like that. Do you remember anything about international relations in Japan? No, I just remember because most of the time they would send me like the assignment and it was usually just like write like a business proposition or, or like a proposal or maybe it's like a demo cover letter. And then this one, I remember opening and like I usually leave it until I have a couple days left and I opened it up and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I just like only had a couple of days to do it. And I got so overwhelmed that I just emailed them that I had a medical emergency and couldn't do it. <laughs> and then they reached out to me a few more times and I just didn't respond. So I basically just faked, faked my own death. <laughs> <laughs> you ghosted your fake ghost writing job. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But no science essays. No science stuff, no. Okay, well, we'll see how this goes today. Great. So um, we have actually an, an amazing scientist uh, on the show with us today. I'd like to introduce you to Pepper Sandwich, who uh, is a PhD candidate at uh, the Greater Vancouver uh, College of Science. Is that correct? Yes, yes. The Greater Vancouver College of... There's actually an ellipsis in there of science. Greater Vancouver College of Science. Yes. Not to be confused with the Greater Vancouver College of Science. Right. The school I attend was there first. The The one with the ellipses was the original institution. And then the other one copied that. So Wonderful. Yeah. Pepper, uh, you'll... Um, <laughs> I've stumbled over. I was going to call you Dr. Sandwich, but I realize you're a PhD candidate. Soon. You don't yet. Soon. Not yet a doctor. Right. So can I, should I call you Pepper in the meantime? Sure. Pepper's fine. Okay. Pepper, you're going to have one minute to explain your work to Alistair. Uh, and then he'll be able to uh, ask you a few questions. Uh, are you ready? Yes, I am. Excellent. You can begin now. Well, Alistair, superfluid helium-3 is a quantum phase of matter which emerges at low temperatures, characterized by zero viscosity flow. Unlike its isotopic counterpart, helium-4, which Bose con condenses into the superfluid state as individual bosonic atoms, helium-3 is a fermionic atom and thus cannot become a superfluid directly. In analogy with BCS superconductors, the he helium-3 must form Cooper-paired composite bosons, which can then condense. This pairing happens in the P wave, spin triplet channel, and thus the order parameter for helium-3 is a complex multi-component matrix, which results in many distinct superfluid phases. We investigate the superfluid phases of helium-3 under nanometer scale geometric confinement and report the discovery of a pair density wave state. Emergent within a narrow band of coherence length scale confinement, this novel state can be described as a superfluid crystal phase of matter. Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah, thank you. I love it. 
I love it. Yeah, simple enough. Yeah. So you caught that all, right, Alistair? Mm-hmm, 100%. Yep. Wonderful. So uh, a couple of questions, I guess. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so what what would you say uh, fermionic means? Fermionic? Well, firm as in fair, meaning iron. So if you look at the Latin root of the word, we're talking about um, iron atoms. Atoms made of iron. Um, and as I said, they exist. Uh, they cannot become superfluid directly because they're tiny little pieces of iron. We don't see them. We can't touch them. But there's iron everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Helium-4 can become a superfluid fairly easily, from what mm-hmm. I understand. Too easily, uh, some would say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a little too easy. It's, 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 little... it's cheap how easily it can become a fluid. Mm-hmm. But so it's better fluid, to work for it. Yeah. Helium-3, it needs um, some composite bosons in the P wave or something like that. That's right. Yeah. So helium-3 must form Cooper-paired composite bosons. Um, and it happens in the P wave. You got it. Okay, great. Uh, you know, you have your complex multi-component matrix. What would a simple one of those look like? Well, it would only have one component. Let's put it that way. You know, we say multi-component and we say complex. I mean, both. Of, it's actually a bit of a bit of overkill, isn't it, to say uh, complex and multi-component? We could say one or the other, but we choose to say both because we're scientists. And lastly, um, the P and P wave. What's that stand for? Physics. Physics. Physics wave. It's okay. a physics wave. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, yeah, no, I think that pretty much sums it up for me. That's all the questions I have. Alistair, are you iron deficient at all? Um, I mean, not diagnosed, but a lot of people look at me and they say, there's something going on there. <laughs> because one thing we've discovered is, as I said, iron is everywhere. So a lot of people, if they need iron, all they have to do is drink in more air. Right. So it's really, yeah. It's my own fault. <laughs> Being iron deficient is a choice. <laughs> All right. Any more questions, Alistair? Uh, I think I'm probably going to, that, that's as much as I'm going to be able to understand. Any, anything more is, I'm just going to be pushing out information at this point to make room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> excellent. Well, in that case, um, Pepper Sandwich, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been excellent. Thank you for having me. Yes. Uh, and gr- good luck on your uh, PhD defense. Thank you very much. So um, we'll put you on mute now and you can watch your work flawlessly communicated uh, for the remainder of the show. Good luck. Thank you. So Alistair, what is your scientist name for me? Um, I'm going to go with Dr. Wretched Boyle. Wretched Boyle? <laughs> a- anything we should know about Dr. Boyle? He's, he's with the uh, the smaller Vancouver College of Sciences. Okay, you, you're gonna you're gonna explain that one. Okay. <laughs> so it's time to bring in our last guest. He's not only an award winning comedian, but also something of a scientist slash mathematician himself. So uh, hopefully he can help us make sense of all this mess. Hello, Abdul. Hello there. How are you doing? Good. Uh, that hello is the voice of Abdul Aziz. So, uh, Abdul, what is your background exactly? Uh, I have a I have a master's degree uh, in mathematical physics. Okay. Well, there's definitely a lot of physics going on here. Okay. Cool. I'm excited. So, I want to introduce you to um, our our scientist today, Dr. R- Wretched Boyle. Hello, uh, Dr. Boyle. Uh, good to meet you. 
Nice to meet you too. Dr. Boyle, can you tell us again what, what university you teach at? I teach at the uh, smaller Vancouver College of Sciences. That science is plural. The smaller Vancouver College of Sciences? Yes. What are the sciences? Uh, you've got your um, your biology, your chemistry, your um, uh, <laughs> tooth tooth sciences. Tooth sciences. Dental, dental sciences? Tooth scientists. Oh, okay, tooth sciences. Sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't. I don't know the right nomenclature. Yeah, den- dental. Is, den- dental is all about um, uh, like 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 cleaning teeth and stuff like that. We just like get a tooth, just see what's inside of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just one tooth. Yeah, you know, one tooth lasts all about a couple of years for the school. Yeah, I mean, depends on the size of the tooth. Where, where do the teeth come from? <laughs> oh, we don't like to talk about that. But you, you do also do physics there, right? Physics as well, yeah. Well, I thought that was, right. you know, because that's what I'm going to be talking about. So that, so that was a bit self-explanatory. So speaking of that physics, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? I'm going to give you one minute to do so. And then Abdul's going to get to ask some questions. Brilliant. So you can start now. Perfect. So um, I, uh, I work with uh, helium-3. Not to be confused with uh, helium-4, which is a bloody isotope and becomes uh, a superfluid, honestly, far too easily. Um, so superfluid with the helium-3, um, you basically, you got your, your fermionic atoms. So that's that's iron atoms, which are like everywhere. Um, but, you know, people with iron deficiencies, I think less of them because the iron atoms are everywhere. And we think, you know, just get some of those. But that's another issue. So why I work, I, I get the helium-3, uh, get some of those iron atoms, um, and, uh, and 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 composite bosons uh, in the P wave. You know all about the P wave and uh, we, we physics wave. Anyway, uh, we, and you use all that uh, into a you put it into a complex multi-component matrix, uh, and boom, you, you've got your uh, nanometer seal geometric confinement happening. We all love that, uh, and then you've got a superfluid. Um, so yeah, uh, and, and don't forget those composite bosons have to be Cooper paired. That's very important. Named after uh, Sir Gerald Cooper. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, do you want me to go on? Is that? I mean, I could talk more about the helium four isotope. Honestly, you know, I hate that stuff. Let's save that for questions because your time is up now. Thanks for that explanation so much, uh, Doctor Boyle. Um, uh, I'll turn it over to you, Abdul. Yeah, uh, that's very interesting. Thank you for that uh, very cogent breakdown of your science. Uh, sciences, sorry. You said helium-3 was an isotope. Can you explain what an isotope is? Right, so, um, yeah, you got the two parts of the word there. You got the top, so that's like the top or something. Okay. You know, like the top. Uh, and then the ISO, ISO is like, uh, so you think of ISO as in isolating. So it's basically like isolating the very top stuff. It's just the top of the molecule. Yes, and what's the difference between a superfluid and a regular fluid? Um, well, you know, it's, I mean, what's the difference between a hero and a superhero? Yeah. Superpowers, right? So, you know, these superfluids, regular fluid, you know, it'll like flow around in a river. This stuff, it can like fly, you know, it can see through things, x-ray vision, all that. Yeah, really brilliant stuff. What do people use it for? Um, I mean, you know, so you use the, the you know, helium, helium generally people use, uh, you know, in balloons or if they suck it in the balloon, they, they speak, right? So what we do is we put this stuff in balloons, then you suck it into the balloon and then for a brief moment you can fly. Okay. And you're saying that you mm-hmm. use bosons to, to make the helium-3? Yeah, composite bosons. Composite bosons. Yeah. Cooper paired composite. And you put them in a matrix? Yeah. Yeah, you're saying this stuff like it's complicated. I mean, I, it is to me. I've never heard any of this stuff before. 
Okay, all right. Well, what do you? What does the matrix do to the boson? Uh, well, no, the well, the comp- the composite bosons, you know, they come into the matrix with the helium, right? Uh, they they interact with it. You know, there's so many components going on. You know, it, honestly, um, the the easiest way to, to to explain it, right? You have this matrix. You've got the P wave coming in. You know, think of a wave. Uh, coming towards like a DVD copy of the movie The Matrix, it's gonna like uh-huh. like mess with it a little bit. You know, it's gonna make it um, like all rusty and stuff. And you think that's a bad thing, but really, you watch the DVD afterwards, completely different experience. And the P wave is made of what? What is that that made of? Yeah, uh, it's just physics. It's made of physics. <laughs> Can I, I just gotta ask a question, um, <laughs> Doctor Boyle? What what? is different about the DVD copy of, of The Matrix when you watch it post-interaction with the physics wave? I mean, you watch it You watch it again after it's been, you know, uh, messed about with the wave. You start to think, you know, is Neo the good guy? Is, uh, you know, maybe the machines should be taken over. Maybe the machines are actually doing something good, you know? Is that where the superfluid comes in? Yeah, I suppose you could think of Morpheus as the superfluid in the metaphor. Yeah, you're saying that Morpheus took his P wave... <laughs> And he put his superfluids <laughs> all over, all over Neo, <laughs> and that's what gave him his powers. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he, he took out his hands. You said, "Do you want the red P wave or the the blue P wave?" And he says, "I'll, I'll have the red one, please." Yeah, okay. Um, uh, that's probably a good place to cut that one off. You get you get government funding for this? Yeah, not the Canadian government, but like, you know, some some other governments around the world. What governments? Who's funding your research, Dr. Boyle? Yeah, Brunei, the Sultan of Brunei. Where is that? Um, don't, I don't like to ask too many questions, but he gives a lot of money. He says, I like the stuff you're doing with superpowers. Keep me updated. Okay. Any more questions, Abdul? I, I mean, I have a ton more questions. You're kind of in charge of this, though, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> don't forget it. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll keep asking questions until you say I'm not allowed to anymore. <laughs> I mean, where's your accent from? Europe. <laughs> okay. okay, got it. Okay, th- thank you so much, uh, Dr. Richard Boyle. I uh, really appreciate your time. Very, very welcome. So, Abdul, can I get your scientist name for the last round? Mr. Gilbert. Great. Anything we should know about Mr. Gilbert? Just that that's his name, and he wants you to know it, and that he has a lot to prove. Great. Okay. He has a love of fedoras and hiking shoes. He wears a lot of vests, tries to have a lot of pockets on most of his clothes. This is a character I'm creating on the spot. So I couldn't tell. You'll forgive me yeah. if... The- <laughs> He doesn't believe that the moon landing happened, but because he doesn't believe that the moon is real. Uh, he thinks it's a mass hallucination or a frisbee that's just been up there for okay. a long time. That's fantastic. Well, I'm going uh, to bring in the Nobel Prize awarding committee now. Uh, welcome, everybody. We have quite a prestigious uh, committee here with us today. We have uh, Pepper Sandwich. We have Dr. Wretched Boyle. Uh, and we have... <laughs> a uh, actual scientist as well. 
we, we're, we're here today to listen to a little bit about the work of the esteemed Mr. Gilbert, a man just constantly experiencing some kind of acid flashback with so much storage and impeccable style. And he's here to tell us a little bit about his work in the field of physics. Mr. Gilbert, I'll turn it over to you. You have one minute to explain your work, then uh, you'll uh, be asked some questions by the committee and we'll decide here and now whether to award you the Nobel Prize. Well, thank you uh, to Mr. Jesse Lupini. Uh, thank you to the esteemed committee for coming here uh, and uh, looking at my presentation slash diorama about the matrix and the P waves that created it. What I did to create this matrix program was I used a series of Higgs bosonic superfluids made out of helium-3 and 4. Not so much helium-4, mostly helium-3. And then uh, I in within the matrix, the uh, the character of Morpheus then took his P waves and instilled the uh, the characteristic of superfluidity onto uh, the character of Neo within that kind of wet orgy scene in the second movie. And uh, he had to use his kind of fermionic abilities to get firm, uh, as firm as possible, and... Uh, in terms of, you know, uh, the superfluids. Uh, so they take, they took the Neo, the, 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 the superfluids went inside of Neo uh, or on top of him uh, and they instilled a, a sense of privilege uh, on, on this character that allowed him to move through the world with superpowers. Uh, the P waves, the physics waves, the bosonic fields, the matrix, some kind of Cooper pairing. Uh, they, uh, Morpheus and Neo were in a bit of a Cooper pair, if you know what I mean, uh, with their relative P waves and their relative firmness uh, and their, uh, you know, being trapped within a computer program. And that's time. Okay. <laughs> very, very interesting um, explanation. Uh, I'll turn it over to the committee to ask some clarifying questions. I guess I'm curious. Uh, I always understood the film The Matrix to be a fictional work, but it sounds like you're describing it as something that is occurring all around us. Could you tell us a little bit about how the imagination connects to the world around us uh, in this example? I'm glad you asked that question because with less than a minute, I didn't have enough time to get into that aspect of it as uh, but when you're dealing with quantum mechanics, you're dealing with the many worlds hypothesis uh, that states that everything that possibly can happen happens either in this world or a different world track. And all of those different worlds are connected by the platonic realm. And it's actually these like P waves that we use to mediate between the different platonic realms. And that's actually how movies are made <laughs> instead of. You, a lot of people think it's like there's actors and scripts and stuff, but what they're doing is they're shooting P waves into the platonic realm and just filming what's happening in an alternate <laughs> reality. That's a, that's a thing that I believe that I've written. Some people say that it's fan fiction. I say that it's science fact. Uh, and uh, a lot of people on Reddit have uh, a lot of opinions on it. Six or seven people have stated opinions about it. And I have a question. So you've got your um, platonic realm shooting P waves in that. Have you shot any P waves into the romantic realm? It's an area of research that I would like to get into. Uh, I have profiles in all the major uh, romantic uh, platforms, uh, Friendster, <laughs> 
Twitter, <laughs> the, the Tinder, but with the bumblebees, we got J-Date, there's uh, plenty of fish, and then there's also the knockoff website from Russia, less fish than you'd want, but more than you need. So in that area, I'm shooting my P-waves to try and catch a super fluid uh, wave to bring me into the romantic realm, yes. Using my bosonic fields. <laughs> uh, so what, what exactly is a super fluid? It's like real thick fluid. Like pudding is a super fluid. Oil could be a super fluid if you leave it outside in the winter. Coconut oil is definitely a super fluid. Um, sometimes the super fluid's just solid. That's like fluid that is even harder. Yeah, and it gives you superpowers. All right. Um, so you, right at the start of your um, introduction, you mentioned um, Mr. Higgs boson. Um, could you... I, I don't think I watched that part of The Matrix. Could you explain the character of Mr. Boson and how he plays into the superfluid story arc? Uh, Mr. Higgs Boson, uh, he's the character that gives all other characters narrative uh, max. <laughs> he, he, like, he, he's kind of, I don't know, he's a mystery, you know? You kinda, he's in the background a lot of the time. Uh, it's like, you're like, is that the Higgs boson there? And you're like, I probably, because like, it seems like there's something important going on narratively with these characters. Uh, and then sometimes he's not there. And then you're like, oh, the, nothing's really happening. And that's what happened with the second and third movies. Oh, so they couldn't get Higgs boson to come back. They couldn't get him back. And it, 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 it didn't have any real meat. There's no meat to the, to the narrative at structure of, that, of those films. I, I, can you just clarify, how did the helium come into this? Um, there was a outtake where they were sucking helium out of balloons and doing their scenes. So it was everyone was talking with a really high voice and it was a lot of fun. Uh, so that's what they were using the helium three for. And then the helium four, as I stated earlier, not doesn't get used so much because it's too much of a superfluid. So if you try and put it into a balloon, it doesn't come out because it's just like solid, basically. So I feel like you, you, you've told us a lot about um, how the movie The Matrix was made. I just want to clear up what was your role in that? I was a key grip on The Matrix. It's just a guy that uh, I'll hold a bounce or I'll push a camera guy on a track uh, or I'll use grip tape. I'll put grip tape on a skateboard. I also work at the West 49 at Metro Town Mall. Um, uh, I'm a key grip at West 49. I got employee of the month there once in 2015 uh, when all the rest of the employees quit. But I was a scab. So I came into the store and I worked instead. And they called me Mr. Grip Tape. Mr. Key Grip Tape. Thank you very much uh, for your time, Mr. Gilbert. It's been illuminating. Yeah, I, I have enjoyed the time here with the panel as well. I'm going to be watching The Matrix at, after panel watch party after the panel. Uh, so you guys are all welcome to come to my house. Uh, my address is 2850 McGill Street, Vancouver, uh, V5K1H6. That's my actual address. Probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, my phone number is 250-588-8798 if anyone wants to get in touch with me. That's my real phone number, too. Probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway, uh, I, I look forward to all the creeps and freaks that listen to your podcast coming to my house. <laughs> We're not going to, like, I can't bleep that, right? <laughs> that, that would be meddling. Thanks so much, uh, Mr. Gilbert. We really appreciate it. And um, maybe we'll see you at the Matrix watch party. I'll text you and let you know whether you won. Thank you. Yeah, you'll find out within the next couple hours. 
Okay, that brings us full circle. That, that was quite a journey. So uh, I, I want to uh, I want to bring bring you back here, uh, promote. Could you tell us how close were we here? How how much does your work revolve around the Matrix? Maybe I'll start off with an apology for filling it with so much jargon. Um, I mean, there was stuff that you got there that was uh, amazingly on point. Um, Abdul, right at the end, said something about uh, the superfluid being both a, a fluid and a solid at the same time. That's actually the last part of my research right now. Unfortunately, nothing to do with the matrix uh, in my actual research. So maybe those are the uh, the highs and lows of the <laughs> of the descriptions that went through the telephone. <laughs> Going on for real here. Let, let's try and let's try and figure it out. Absolutely, a superfluid is a fluid that has no viscosity. So you think of honey as a very viscous substance. Or like pudding, like Abdul said. And you can go the absolute opposite way where it has absolutely no viscosity. So it can flow forever without stopping uh, because it has no friction. And so that's what happens to helium, both helium-3 and helium-4, which are different isotopes, when you cool it to like negative 273 degrees Celsius, which is absolute zero. That's what a superfluid is. So it's, it's the opposite of pudding, basically. It's the opposite of pudding, yes. But let me bring the pudding back in there because the last part talks about how if we take the superfluid and then we kind of squish it, put it inside, as I said, a, a nanometer confined geometry. Um, it's just like, you know, putting it in a really thin slab and like squishing it really hard. It'll start to do funny stuff. And so that's what we we're talking about. Your, um, the pair density wave. Basically refers to it's it's a superfluid, but it's also a solid in a weird way at the same time. So it's a crystal that can flow without um, without friction. So that is a pair density wave, and the, yeah, that's the, that's the subject of my research: how a superfluid, when you squish it really into a tiny tiny little slab, how it behaves. So the f- superfluids do have superpowers, essentially. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have so, to well, get to the quantum realm. Um, that's the hard part. Is it the fact that it is quantum, like there are quantum effects that are in place that give it, that allow it to be like both a fluid and a solid, or is it other? No, absolutely. It is all quantum mechanics. I mean, if you go small enough, everything is quantum. So it's not really special to call it, you know, only this is a quantum effect. Everything's a quantum effect. You are a quantum effect. We are all quantum effects. Um, But in this case, yes, it is definitely quantum that makes it both a solid and a liquid at the same time. Cool. And what, so which specific properties are like solid properties and which specific ones are liquid properties? You know, at the atomic scale, when we think of, of solids, solids are things that have a crystalline structure. So they're like, they have a very specific position all the atoms are in. Usually they're in like a cube shape. You, you've seen these models in like high school classes where you can, you know, put little plastic blobs where atoms are and then there's space in between. Um, liquids don't have that structure. They don't have atoms that stay in one place. Um, and this, this is actually like the only known superfluid crystal thing where you have this kind of atom staying in one place, but it's not the exact same atom. It's all, uh, always flowing inside. It has both a crystalline slu- uh, structure and these superfluid helium atoms can, you know, jump back and forth between these atomic positions without any friction. Can you get, give everyone that like cup analogy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, the, the way I like to introduce superfluids usually is like you have some pop or some coffee in there. And if you wanted to, you know, add some more sugar in there, you put your spoon in, you give it a stir, and it'll create a little whirlpool in there. But obviously, like any uh, liquid that we know of, that little whirlpool will stop after like a second, and it'll become a normal flat liquid again. But 
if you do this with superfluid helium, so you take a cup of helium, then you cool it down to negative 273 degrees and you give it a stir. Super easy. Anyone can do it. You'll see something very different, actually. Um, if you make that whirlpool happen, you can take the spoon out, there'll be a whirlpool. You can stay and watch it for 10 minutes. The whirlpool will still be going. You can stay and watch it for a year. It'll still be going. So frictionless liquid. Um, if you set it into motion, it'll never stop moving. So that's what a superfluid in essence is. I feel like we've now kind of got the, the first and last bit of your, your explanation. The first bit being what a superfluid is and, and a little bit about how that works. And then the, the ending part being your specific research about c confining it into these little spaces um, and then looking at how it behaves with the paradensity wave crystal fluid behavior. Is that right? Do I kind of have that? that perfect. Okay. So <clears throat> I, I just wanted to touch on the middle part before we hit the end. The idea that uh, helium-3, he helium-4 just forms superfluids way too easily. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's when people were like, oh, yeah, it's just a boson by itself and can do it super easily. And then helium-3 um, needs to work a little harder. It's a fermion. So it needs to form a composite boson to become uh, a superfluid. What are fermions and bosons? So fermions and bosons are just kind of like the two types of fundamental particles that exist. The way to think about it is um, just think of fermions not liking to play along with each other and bosons very easily liking to play along with each other. If you put a fermion and a fermion together, they don't like to stay in the same place. They don't like to stay in the same state, um, as we call it. But bosons do it very easily. And to, to become a superfluid, all of the atoms basically need to act as one they're kind of in lockstep with each other and if none of the fermions want to you know play along with each other you can't have this lockstep motion so to become a, a superfluid each helium atom kind of finds a partner within this sea of helium and they kind of stay together and they become one composite boson which means they play along nicely with the rest of the atoms in there uh, okay so helium four does this on its own but helium three you need two of them together and then they form a, a composite boson, which is what lets them become a superfluid. Exactly. And that's that's the Cooper pair part of it. You get a pair of helium atoms that bond together. Oh, monogamy. <laughs> awesome. Do you three feel like you understand like pretty well what's going on right now? I was just going to say, what does the P and P wave stand for? Oh, it's actually, uh, I don't think it stands for anything. It's the, it's the chemistry notation, you know. Um, I, if you've taken some late high school chemistry, I think they talk about these F orbitals and P orbitals, and they just like pull stuff out from the alphabet. Um, it's basically having to do with where the electrons are in um, in an atom or a molecule, but I don't think it stands for anything. So the P stands for chem. It stands for chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a silent P in front of it. Yeah. When it's twist. Okay, I want to try something. I want to try and get. Amy Alistair Abdul explained this coherently in the way that a layperson could understand it. So I'm going to get Amy to go first to do the beginning part and explain what a superfluid is. And then I'm going to get Alistair to explain the difference between helium-3 and helium-4. And then I'm going to get Abdul to explain the crux of Promote's research. Um, okay, Amy, you want to go first? So 
A superfluid is something that you would understand more if you did physics at all and you didn't opt out of it in high school and you just did chem and bio and you didn't even do physics because you felt intimidated by the math aspect of it. If you did that, uh, you would understand that a superfluid is is somewhere between a solid and a liquid and it lives in an interesting space when you cool it down to minus 273 degrees Celsius, which is absolute zero you'll find that it has no friction uh, and it can flow forever and it can flow indefinitely and whirlpools. <laughs> Think about it. Great. Alistair? So the difference between uh, helium-3 and helium-4 is that helium-4 um, becomes an isotope. Uh, I've already lost it. <laughs> 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 Help him out for bud. Um yeah. <laughs> it so right, it's right, it's right. Fucking good looks aren't helping you now, <laughs> Oh, the most handsome comedian in Vancouver. More like fucking stu- idiot. <laughs> so, yes, helium 3. Um helium <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't find a segue for that. Um, helium three is a is a fermion, and helium four is a boson. And all superfluids are bosons. So you and you need to convert this fermion of helium three into bosons. And the way they do that is by pairing up. They find a partner, and two fermions makes one boson. So helium three needs to find a partner before it can turn into a boson, which can turn into a superfluid. Okay. All right. So yeah, it's basically like. Helium-4 is like a, a couple already. Helium-3 is like a single person. The single person needs to find another single person to become a couple, and then they can be in love, which is super fluid. I understand everything through uh, love and storytelling analogies. <laughs> All right, Abdul, you want to finish this up? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Promotes research is specifically about... What happens when a superfluid, specifically a helium-3 superfluid, gets squished, which is, what's the technical term for it? Nanometer scale geometrical confinement. <laughs> you should just use the word squished, you pretentious fuck. <laughs> Nanometer scale geometric confinement? Ugh. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I'm being so combative. <laughs> it's like we, we awoke something in you. Do yeah. so you, uh, you geometrically confine, nanoscale geometrically confine the uh, helium-3 superfluid, and it starts to have strange characteristics due to quantum effects where it acts as both a superfluid and a solid, and that's specifically what you're studying. One thing that I was... So where it like forms an actual crystalline structure, but it can st- it still has zero friction and flows like a fluid, which means... Does that mean that like the molecules are switching places in the crystalline structure at like just at random? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a probability that you'll find more atoms here versus like in the middle and then a higher probability here. Quantum mechanics is probabilistic, so you can't say it's this atom that stays here the entire time. It could be here. It could be like a kilometer away because there's a non-zero probability for everything. 
they're basically teleporting between the different like positions in the crystalline structure. Like, what's mediating the motion between? Are they moving or what? Are they, are they just like in all the places, kind of at once? With yeah, different yeah. Probabilities? It's, it's a wave function. They don't they don't have a position, right? So like the wave function um, is peaked, so it has a higher probability of being in one place. But really, there the probability of finding them anywhere is non-zero anywhere. If they're at absolute zero, aren't they supposed to be totally still? No, like that. So that's 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 classical thinking. Not, not that's where you're going you're wrong. Thinking classically, <laughs> Abdul. You gotta, you gotta, oh, I'm sorry. You just got you guys turn on quantum mode, and then <laughs> then suddenly everything will be illuminated or eliminated, uh, illuminated. <laughs> So this is a great point, actually. The only reason helium is the only known substance that never turns into a solid is because they have, you know, more energy than it would take for them to be stuck at one point, which is it, you need to have something stuck at one point for it to be a solid, but it has quantum energy. It's called zero point fluctuations, which, which, which means that they're, you know, everywhere at once. So they can't be localized to one point to make a solid. Wow. I can go back to... F- Attacking <laughs> Alistair's good looks. I, I'm just worried I'm going to be next. Like I'm just afraid <laughs> that kind of moment, like I got to end the show before he gets to me. <laughs> okay, so we we've definitely like run a bit over time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up now. Um, okay, so thank you everybody so much for being with us on the telephone today. Uh, this has been fantastic. Do, do you all feel like you understand the science a bit better now? I learned so much. I learned so much about physics, period. I'm going to go read the Wikipedia. Before we wrap up, um, very quickly, uh, Amy, where can we find you on the internet? Ooh, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Attack. Ooh, okay. Uh, Alistair, what about you? Uh, I'm at Alistair Ogden um, or Alistair Stuff on Twitter. Great. Abdul? I would say uh, the best thing that I make is a, a D&D podcast, so follow that. Uh, it's called Spout Lore, S-P-O-U-T-L-O-R-E, uh, and it's at Spout Lore on all the social media things. Great. Uh, promote. Can we find you online? Yes, you can. So you can find me on Twitter. Promote. Do you want us to? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, and then if you want to see more fun Psycom projects, you can find me as Promote Yapa on YouTube as well. Awesome. Okay, thank you so much, uh, everybody. Uh, Amy Shostak, Alistair Ogden, Abdul Aziz, Promote Senarath Yappa. You are all the best. I hope you enjoyed the telephone. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time. Science Telephone is produced by Jesse Lupini and Lucas Cavanaugh. We're edited by Kobe Michaels. Our designer is Kelsey Hemphill, and our intro is performed by Franz Paris. That's me. To learn more about the show, this episode's scientists, or the comedians you just heard, visit us on the internet at sciencetelephone.com or on Twitter at SciTelShow. S-C-I-T-E-L Show. End of call.